Hello and welcome to Landscape Photography World, the podcast for everyone passionate about landscape photography. I'm Grant Swinburne and I'll be your host on this show, talking to landscape photographers about their motivations, likes and dislikes. Brett Wood is a full-time professional landscape photographer who's been in the business since 2014. Formerly in construction equipment sales, this Wagga Wagga native now splits his time between the New South Wales South Coast and New Zealand South Island, considering it his spiritual home. With over 20 years of exploring and photographing New Zealand, he specialises in workshops there. Brett's photography style is straightforward, authentically replicating scenes as he sees them. His calm, friendly nature makes learning enjoyable for his clients, capturing beautiful photos. Beyond photography, Brett enjoys fishing, travelling, family, his dog, and exploring the culinary world. He shares his passion for nature, his nuanced approach to photo editing and printing, and how teaching others during his photography workshops gives him deep satisfaction, along with lots more. I hope you enjoy the show. G'day, Brett. Welcome to Landscape Photography World. How are you going? Yeah, good, Grant. Thanks for having me on, mate. All good here today. It's a beautiful, sunny day. Typical spring wind, but all good, mate. Yep. Fantastic. Fantastic. It's great to have you on. Been looking at your stuff for quite some years, actually, and been definitely had you on the list for a while. And it's great to actually get to see you, even if it is just virtually. But why don't you tell people that don't know you who you are and why you do what you do? Okay. Who am I? I'm a full-time professional landscape photographer. I've been doing it full-time now for about 2015, I think, was when I went full-time. No, 2014, sorry. So what's that, nine years? Mm-hmm. Um, born and bred country boy, grew up Wagga Wagga in New South okay. Wales. As a young fella, I spent a lot of time in the outdoors with my dad, camping, fishing, hunting, bushwalking, hiking, tramping, all that stuff. So I got my first camera when I was in Boy Scouts as a kid, yeah. which was a 35mm Hanamex, one of those little long skinny cameras that looked oh, like yeah. a video that. cassette type thing. Mm-hmm. So always dabbled in photography my whole life really, but more just a happy snapper, tourist type snapper. And then in my former career, I spent many years, 25 years on the road in sales jobs Okay. So I pretty much would always have a camera with me and if I seen something that looked cool, I'd pull up and, and take some photos. And then in the early 2000s into about 2010 around there, I started doing a lot of trips to New Zealand. Yep. And that's when I really started to take my photography a bit more seriously, started shooting off a tripod, started using ND filters, all that sort of thing. And then it was probably about 2000 and. 13, 2014, I just got completely addicted to photography. It just became like this absolute obsession and it just took over my whole life pretty much. Like I used to be prior to that, my obsession was actually fishing. Okay. Um, But the photography actually took over that and I just got completely addicted to it and it hasn't wavered since that day. I'm still the same. Every single day, seven days a week, I'm completely immersed in something to do with photography. And then in the early, two th- when I was about 40 years old, so I'm 52 now, so about 12 years ago, unfortunately, my mum and dad passed away. Mm. So that made me reevaluate life and have a bit of a think about where life was going. And I had a real good high paying corporate job and all that sort of thing, but I just wasn't really enjoying it that much. And one day I decided to quit my job and 
take up photography as a full-time job and started doing workshops and mainly in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. And I haven't really looked back. That's all I've been doing ever since. The first sort of 12 months was a little bit up and down, but it didn't actually take that long before things started to roll. And yeah, that's pretty much what I've done ever since is my main business is landscape photography workshops. We do a stack of stuff in New Zealand, obviously. That's our, I guess you call it our specialty is New Zealand. Um, But we do other stuff as well, local stuff here on the south coast of New South Wales. And in more recent times, I've actually set up a professional level gallery here at my house, uh, which I actually put a fair bit of work into. I've got a professional lighting system, hanging system. So I've got a a gallery downstairs of a lot of my images on. They're quite big. There's 1,200 mil wide acrylic face mounts. So I get a few people occasionally come through the gallery. It's like an appointment only thing because I'm often not home. We're often away doing workshops and stuff, but that's actually gone pretty well. I sell a few prints here and there. Um, Actually got a order yesterday actually for a print. So yeah, do that. (laughs) I sell, I always think, oh, I don't sell that many prints, but then I get to the end of the year because I do actually keep an eye on the the money that's coming in and where it's coming from and what areas and so forth. But I actually sell more prints than I think I do. So it it goes along. I don't think anyone, I don't think any photographer that sells prints makes a fortune out of it, but it's a good sideline and it's also something that is really makes you feel good when someone actually wants to spend a fifteen hundred bucks or a couple of grand on one of your on one of your prints. Yeah. So that's another thing. But yeah, that's pretty much me. I work with my partner Lisa Milne. You can look her up. She's actually a really good photographer in her own right. And she works with me and I think we're a pretty good team. So on all our workshops, we we come as a package deal, the two of us, which I think is pretty unique because a lot of workshops might only have one guide or leader. So we've actually got the two of us. So yeah, that's pretty much what we do. This year so far, we've done 12 workshops and we've got two to go. We're about to go to New Zealand again on Wednesday to do two more and that'll be the end of our year. This has been a big year, this one, huge. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It sounds like you're uh, really busy. Yeah, this the last couple of years, since particularly since the COVID stuff, has been like really busy. COVID was a bit of a couple of years of nothingness, but so we've been going like working pretty hard the last two years, just trying to catch up. But yeah. Yeah, it's all good, mate. I can't complain. I'm doing what I love and um, enjoying it. Yeah. So where do you think that love for photography actually stems from? Is it just the desire to be outdoors, or is it something? more about the artistic expression when i think back when i was a kid i was always a weird kid the left-handed kid that was sitting in the classroom staring out the window daydreaming and never really connected with everyone else (laughs) so i was always had a little bit of that a little bit of that sort of arty side to me but more than anything it's about being outdoors for me i absolutely love nature i love being out there and in them out there in nature taking photos. And honestly, if I get a good photo, it's a bonus. I'm honestly just happy to be there. And someone famous once said, I can't remember who it was, but you don't always have to get the photo on your camera. You take photos with your eyes. In yeah. other words, in other words, you see the scene. That's enough for me. But yeah. So I just love being out there. But I, I just love nature in all ways. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of photographers get wrapped up in the the technical side and trying to 
yeah to take the, the the perfect photo and don't actually kick back and relax and enjoy the environment that they're actually in at the time yeah that's true mate I'm, um, I'm the same I, I can get very excited about a sunrise and a wave and yeah I, I forget the enjoyment of actually being there and and seeing it yeah that's true mate like I only just put out a new YouTube video last night actually went on uh, a video we shot at Milford Sound this winter and I actually made a, a bit of a statement in that video saying that because I see people, they put a lot of pressure on themselves to get good photographs. Like yeah. they re, they're very hard on themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think they don't enjoy it as much when they do that. And that's what I talked about in the video. I said, it, once you remove that expectation or that pressure that you put on yourself, once you remove that, mm -hmm. I think you enjoy it a lot more and you'll actually even get get better photos as well yeah i i totally with you on that yeah what do you do to help you your, your mind relax and where did that sort of epiphany come from oh i'm always been a pretty relaxed sort of person people that know me know that i'm pretty relaxed i'm almost too relaxed for some people i'm not a very well planned sort of person i just about wing everything in life so most of the time I'm pretty relaxed. The only thing that stresses me out is technology and and bad drivers, really. Okay. Um, <laughs> everything else I'm pretty relaxed about. But definitely when you're out there and you get in that zone, I guess you'd call it, and sometimes you'll go out and you won't get in the zone. You just don't really enjoy it or you wouldn't say you don't enjoy it. I wouldn't you say you don't enjoy it. You can't take a good one, you know. Yeah, but there's days when you just click into this zone and you, it, everything just, it's almost like you're in your own little world. You're in another world. Yeah. Um, everything just seems, and you don't, often you don't actually even think about it until it's over. I'm not one, because we're doing a lot of stuff and I'm not one that reflects on stuff that much. And then I get to the end of the year when we stop and then I go back and I do start to reflect Hey. And you think, wow, wasn't that an amazing moment? We were at somewhere in Canada or somewhere in New Zealand or wherever it might have been, and you reflect on it and you think, wow, that was a phenomenal moment. Yeah, yeah, just being in the zone, getting in that zone, it's a pretty good feeling, and you do, you definitely relax when you get into that sort of mindset. Absolutely. Yeah. So in terms of you, you mentioned you're not a planner. Yep. How does that work when you're planning your workshops because oh well clearly yeah you've got to do some planning otherwise oh, a lot of that is planned a lot of stuff's planned we we plan a lot of stuff at least six 12 months ahead yep. but in terms of an actual itinerary on a workshop not very often we would run to a, a strict itinerary it, i just don't think it works if you rock up in new zealand for example and you're going to shoot Mount Cook one day and then you're going to go down to Milford Sound another day and so on. We all know how fickle the weather can be. So it's good to have a, a bit of an idea of where you want to go, but as far as having a strict itinerary, it, I never do that. Every time we're running a workshop, we're just continually looking at weather apps on the phone and seeing where the wind's coming from and where the clouds are and so forth and, and then just planning. Probably 12 hours ahead would be about the extent of it. We'll have, a, as I say, a general plan on what we're going to do, but we'll often twist things around. We might swap day two for day three or whatever it might be. Everything else, obviously, yes, is organised. We actually spend 
a hell of a lot of time here in the office at home planning out all those behind the scenes things that people take for granted. There's actually a hell of a lot of work goes into this stuff. So I am planned in that way. But in terms of do I plan my photography? No, not yeah. really. Not really. So you're in the field responding to what you're seeing and pretty much yeah, going on the fly rather than pre-visualizing and saying, yep. this, this is the shot I'm after. Yep, pretty much. Yeah. 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 Do you think that helps in, I guess, reducing the stress on yourself in terms of coming away with a good image? Yeah, definitely. If you have a a planned image you want to get, or sometimes you do have a planned image, but that Mm -hmm. will often be at places that you revisit a lot. And we do tend to do that, revisit the same places a lot. I actually like to do that, to go back to the same places a lot. So sometimes you might have a planned image or an idea of what you might want to get. But most of the time, no, it's just turn up and take a wand around and shoot what's there. One thing that I always try and teach people in the workshops is to slow down. Landscape photography is an incredible thing for slowing people down. You can really slow down everything you do. And I think getting to a location and just putting your camera bag down on the ground and and don't even get your camera out of the bag, just walk around the whole area. Like some people... I say don't have concrete boots. People get out of the, the vehicle and they've got concrete shoes. They see a shot and they're, they're just stuck there. Um, they go, yeah. And I'm guilty of doing that myself sometimes. But put the bag down, walk around for at least 20 minutes, half an hour, and find something that you that catches your eye. And I say to people, if something catches your eye, then take a photo of it. Go and get your camera and, and photograph it. Maybe the maybe your best shot. It may not be, but if it caught your eye, you should go and have a look at it. Yeah, so I'm pretty much like that, really. Yeah, fair enough. So when you're in the field, what is it? What is it that you're looking for? What inspires that creativity, and how do you stay motivated to experiment and look at different things? I'm probably not the most creative photographer out there to be honest like I keep I'm a pretty one-dimensional landscape photographer really I just try and keep it pretty authentic but what motivates me I just like being there I find that's enough being in being out there in nature is enough to motivate me to do whatever that gives me the motivation I need to get good photos I've never been one of these people that hung up on the pink skies and the orange skies. I just don't care about that. I know a lot of people do, but don't. I would say my best... I enjoy them when they come along, but they're so bloody rare at the moment. (laughs) Yeah, but I don't care about that. Good light is one thing. Two things. One is light and two is composition, those two things. Yeah, yeah. that's That's what I'm looking for is some nice light and a nice composition. That's pretty much it in a nutshell. I'm not worried if the clouds are grey or the scene's got a lot of blue blue reflected light or whatever it might be. I, I don't care about that. The other thing is probably because we do tend to, as I said earlier, we do tend to revisit the same locations a lot and, and we do that with workshops. We also do it on a personal level as well when, we're, when we do find time to get out and take our own photos. But one challenge or one motivation there is to try and come up, often to try and come up with a different spin on a reasonably well-known location. Or you may, ourselves, for example, may have already have three or four really good images of a particular location. Yep. I'll use an example, Tasman Lake in New Zealand. We go there yeah. quite a lot. 
So every time I go there now, I'm really trying to just find something different, something that I haven't taken there, something that that is just a real different spin on it. So mm-hmm. that's a good motivation, I think. But that's one of those things that takes time too. You might walk around for an hour trying to find something different and then yeah. all of a sudden something will just pop up. So that that's a bit of a motivation these days, I think. Have you ever overshot a location and just said, no, I've done it, I can't find anything else here? Or I don't know. There's one in particular that we all know about, the Wanaka tree. Yeah. I've got a gazillion photos of that. I was going to say, that that's a tough one to get something unique there. Oh, yeah, you, you still can. You've just got to think about it yeah. and you need the right conditions and all that sort of thing. But, yeah, I've been there a lot of times. But you know what? It's one of those places that it's iconic for a reason. Yeah. If you get some beautiful light there in the morning, for example, particularly with winter, it's still a really beautiful location. It's just the, the people there that annoy you sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> We've, yeah, yeah. Fair, enough, fair enough. But it doesn't seem to be as busy since COVID, I don't think. Really? Uh, okay. I don't think so. The most we've seen there in the last couple of years might be 30 or 40 people, whereas I can remember before COVID going there when there'd be 100 people there. Yeah. Incredible, yeah. Yeah, everyone tripping over one and one yeah, that's another. not fun. Yeah, no, that's that's no. not enjoying it. But that, um, that, that's not a, a fun photography experience in my book. I, no. I like being somewhere where the nearest person might be, if if I'm lucky, a hundred yards away from me. You know. Yep, I agree, mate. Definitely. We recently did a trip. I went by myself. Lisa couldn't come. She had um, knee surgery. Went to Canada in September, mm. and. I tend not to look online at photos of places where I'm going. I've seen plenty of photos online of Canada, but I don't tend to really look online. It's more just turn up and whatever looks good, basically drive around. But I got some really good shots there of places that probably aren't iconic at all just because they look good. And I there's places there like that you go, it's like anywhere, there's places there that where there's bloody hundreds of tourists, but there's places there where you'll have in, an entire vista to yourself, absolutely. absolutely stunning vista all to yourself. So, yeah, I like that stuff too. I'm probably not one of these people that does extreme things like hikes down cliffs and does yeah. it. I don't mind doing a bit of exercise or hiking or whatever, but I don't do anything too extreme. But yeah, I, no, I don't feel no, no ropes involved. I have done <laughs> in the past, but yeah, not so much recently. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. In terms of success, what does success look like for you in your photography? I don't really think about that much. I guess I am successful because I've made a living out of it and pays the bills. So I guess yeah. that's successful. For me, if I can make a living out of it, which I do, so to me, that's successful. But for me, well, it's probably two things. One is having clients that are satisfied and happy. That mm. That's very important to me, actually, that the people that come are happy and they're content and they are because they keep coming back. We've got 20, 30, 40 clients that are regulars and they would be five, six. We've got one lady that's done nine workshops with us. Yeah, A lot of people like that. So to me, that's success. That means yeah. that people are happy. I repeat business. Yeah, we were doing a uh, a bit of a list of some stuff the other day and we actually decided to put together a list of people um, that have been on workshops with me since I started doing workshops. Yeah. And it's nearly 700 people. So yeah. <laughs> that, I guess that's a measure of success, people. And if you have a look on Google, my reviews, they're 
five star. I haven't got any below that. So maybe one will come one day. I don't know. But so that's success. But the other thing for me that I think is what I would probably call um, measuring success is selling your work. That's just always, that's the pinnacle, I think. If someone wants to actually pay good money for your prints and I don't sell my prints yeah. cheap, that's that spells success. I still never really regard myself as a great photographer. I think I'm a good photographer, but there's people out there that are probably a lot more talented or more naturally gifted photographers than, than probably what I am. But in saying that, yeah, I guess I've done a right out of it. So that's success for me, yeah. Fair enough, fair enough. In terms of building to that success, uh, how do you think... Sorry, I'm going to start again. Yep. In, ter in terms of building to that success, putting hard yards into understanding both the field work and the processing and whatever, what did you do to start developing that? Was that something you did on your own, just watching YouTube videos or doing workshops yourself or did you go through some formal education? Uh, I'm a bit of a person that goes on quotes and sometimes I talk about quotes, but one of my one of my quotes that I do say to people a lot is passion determines success. Yep. And another one I always say is effort equals reward. Mm -hmm. So that passion determines success. If you're passionate about something, if you're genuinely passionate about something and you've got belief, like belief in yourself, yep, you, yep. you can do anything you want. But yeah, back to that. I guess when I first started getting fanatical about photography, I spent, I'm fanatical, I would have spent probably six or eight hours a day learning Photoshop and I would have done that seven days a week for about five or six years. Wow. <laughs> really, really immersed in it. And yeah. a lot of that was just learning from other people Social media was a, a big help. I'd see something on social media and I'd think, how the hell did they do that? I'd just ask them, can you please tell me how you did that? But the other one is YouTube, of course. I'm a huge fan of YouTube. I spend yes. I spend a couple of hours every day on YouTube. So I've learned a lot off YouTube. I'm still I still watch YouTube every night. After dinner, I sit down and watch uh, a couple of hours of YouTube, and I'm still yeah. following. I'm still following a lot of photography stuff, editing stuff, other photographers yeah. that are out in the field shooting vlogs, things like that. And uh, I'm still always learning stuff. So YouTube's it's like the the world's biggest encyclopedia, right? It's, oh, absolutely. You can yeah. learn just about anything. Yeah, yeah. Are there any notable ones for people out there looking for guidance to? To learn on YouTube? Yeah. Oh, I love Michael Shane Bloom, as we talked about before. He's great. His videos are good, very professional. In my opinion, he's probably one of the best landscape photographers in the world. Definitely. So I, I love his videos. Nick Page, I like watching his stuff. Some of the other stuff I follow is wildlife photographers as well, guys like Morton Hilmer, yep. uh, Steve Mathis, guys like that I find because – I still like following that stuff as well. But on the editing side of things, there's a guy called Blake Rudis. He's called yeah, the F64 F Academy. I like him. Flern, Aaron Nace, yeah. PH Learn. Yeah. He's good. What's the other one? The Indian guy? What's he? Picks Imperfect. Picks Imperfect, yeah. Yeah, so probably those ones from a learning point of view. Yeah, uh, they're definitely three Photoshop ones that are, are well worth mm. it. I I love Blake's stuff because he just his 
in-depth understanding of the areas that he's covering, like colour theory, but not only that, how Photoshop implements colour theory. Yeah. You know, yeah, he's very good to watch. And he's another one of those guys that you can tell when you watch his videos that he's really passionate about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. yeah. And I've bought over the years, I've bought a stack of other photographers' tutorials as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I think if you've got a big ego, you can say, I don't need to learn off other photographers. <laughs> I, I know everything, blah, blah, blah. But that's not the case of me. If I, if I admire another photographer, I want to know how they do stuff. So I often buy the tutorials and have a look at them. I recently bought Daniel Corden, actually. I recently okay, yeah. bought his tutorials and, and had a bit of a look at them. Yeah. yeah, he's got some good stuff too. Yeah, yeah, and his editing um, techniques are relatively simple too. They're Definitely not, not yeah. too technical. Yeah. yeah. Circling back to where you decided to go full time, how hard was it to make that decision, and what sort of things were you putting in place to to make it easy to make that decision? Yeah, when I think about it, it was probably planned to a degree because probably 12 months before I actually quit my other job and went full time, I started to do things in the background. Yep. yep. Uh, and back then you could actually get uh, a pretty good following on social media and, and a lot of engagement. So I did well out of social media back then. I, I got a lot of people that followed my stuff. Yeah. So I worked hard at that, at trying to build up a bit of an audience in the background but I also, when I was still working in my in my other job, I also started to do a few workshops sort of part-time. And I used to live at Port Macquarie on the mid-north coast. Mm -hmm. So I used to do just weekend workshops there where we'd start on a Friday afternoon and finish at lunchtime on a Sunday. Yeah. So I started doing that just to learn the, the process of doing a workshop and what was involved and the planning and whatever else. So I did that for a while. And I think I even did, I think I did one or two New Zealand workshops as well when I was still working in my other job as well mm. and did that, just took time off work and, and did those just to test the waters. And yeah, I just woke up one day, really. I It was probably a stage of a period of a 12-month period where I slowly but surely just started to lose interest in my former career and because I had an autonomous job where I worked for myself sort of thing I didn't have to report to a manager each day or whatever yeah, so yeah. in to be honest I started spending more of my work hours work working on photography well, stuff they can't sack you now <laughs> no they can't sack me no yeah working on my building up my photography business than I did working on my real job but yeah one day I just woke up and said oh, I'm going to give this a go I'd worked for the company for years I had long service pay and a few savings stashed away and all that sort of thing so I worked out that I could go I could afford to go for a year without an income if I had to I could pay the bills and so I thought I'll give it one year and and see how it goes and six months in I reckon and I was pretty much decided this is the life for me this is where I'm going to go with it yeah awesome yeah in terms of learning that process that you mentioned of hosting a workshop what's yep. the most important thing you learned in in that period well that's a good question I think there's a couple of things one is you've got to always put the people first and he who shares wins is a bit of a quote. So the more information you share with people, if you have a very, if you're very open with people, and you need to, 
the customer's always first. So you need to think about making sure the customer gets what they want out of the experience. Yeah. Um, and that's something we're pretty focused on, actually. We normally often ask our clients on the first day of a workshop if there's anything in particular that they really want to achieve. Yeah. And they, some people don't care. They just, they're just they just there for the experience, but other people might have something in particular that they really want to learn. Yeah, they want to work on, yeah. Often people want to learn uh, more about using ND filters. That's always a common one, but there will often be special things like someone will say, I really want a particular shot of Mount Cook or Tasman Lake or whatever it might be. I really want that. I want to uh, uh, frame it and hang it up at my house or I yep. want to learn more about shooting waves or whatever it is. So then you'll be aware that person's told you that. So you'll make you'll really make that effort to try and make sure that works for them. Yeah. But, yeah, that's one thing, making sure the customers always comes first. There's a lot of other stuff from a business point of view. There's a lot of really good photographers out there and, and many photographers are probably a lot better at it than I am. But to be successful at it, I think you've also got to really have that business side of it switched on. You've got to understand that business and marketing side of it. That's mm -hmm. actually really important. And I think for me, like I came from a sales and marketing background for many years, so I think that definitely helps. Yeah, def definitely. Yeah. How do you, you've obviously got some help from Lisa, but how do you get on with that process where you've got to be chief marketing officer, chief financial officer, chief photographer, et cetera, et cetera. There's so many hats you've got to wear when running your own business. How do you deal with all of those, juggling all of those activities? Oh, mate, it's pretty full on. Like, I think a lot of people just look at what we do and think we just fly around the world taking photos and yeah, well, you just turn up and push a button. That's all. Yeah, good. sleep on planes and just relax. And but honestly, it, it's busy, mate. Like this year, this year especially, probably the busiest year I've had. There wouldn't have, there would be very few days this year that I haven't been doing something in the business and I'm talking seven days a week yeah. you're constantly working almost not last week the week before I actually um had a five-day trip down the snowy mountains with a mate of mine and we went and did a bit of fishing for a few days that's the first and I didn't even take a camera actually wow. left, my, left all my camera gear at home that's the first sort of break I've had away from the business or photography for a few years yeah but oh, I enjoy it. But yeah, there's a lot involved. And the two things I hate the most in life is um, bad drivers and technology, yeah. like computers and emails and all that stuff. I'm reasonably okay with it, but it's it makes it's one thing that stresses me out. So spending all these hours sitting in the office at home doing all the admin stuff, but it has to be done. That's the part I enjoy the least. You've got to do it. You have to do it. Yeah, I think the that balancing act that you've got to do, you've, you've got to put the, the time and effort into it, in particular marketing, because if you yeah. don't, then no one knows you're there and no one's going to buy anything. That's right. Yep. You've got to continue to put that one foot forward and have your name out there. You have to do that if you want to be successful. One thing I like to ask quite a lot of people that are doing professional photography and less so an issue for your, your your workshops but how do you price your work is there a formula or is it just saying all right i think it's worth this so that's what i want when i first started when i set the gallery up yeah 
Mm. Uh, I know a couple of blokes that own galleries, a couple of guys in New Zealand actually. Yep. So I, t- I spoke to them and I had an idea of what I would charge for my work and they said, no way, that's too cheap. You, you, you just can't do that. These days, I'd rather, I do believe that any photographer that takes good quality photos that you need to know your worth, like that you are yeah. worth something. Yep. So normally for me, it's probably the, I normally look at the cost of what it costs to print. I mainly do my stuff. I sell a few prints as well, like just prints on paper type thing, but mainly acrylics or frame prints. But normally I, the cost to get it printed, it's normally three or four times yeah. that, I'd, that I'd be selling it for, yeah. which I think is reasonable. I think sold like i said a 120 centimeter um acrylic this week for i think 16 or 1700 bucks or something like that and i see people selling them for three grand so i think that's still pretty respectable yeah definitely definitely what's your favorite location one one that keeps pulling you back oh that's pretty easy new zealand of course I just love New Zealand. I've lived there a couple of times and I'd probably still be living there now if it wasn't for COVID. Yeah. Definitely New Zealand. I love the place. I just absolutely love it. What's your favourite spot in New Zealand then? Oh, that's a good question. You've got a pretty varied set of locations there. I'm not going to say one particular location. I'm just going to say a region. I would say the Mackenzie region. Yeah, yeah, which is Mount Cook, Lake Pukaki, Tekapo, Twizel, that that area. Yeah, yeah, I, I love yeah, it, mate. Understandably, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely love it. Just, I don't know. There's a bit uh, we can get a bit spiritual here or whatever, but there's just something about New Zealand that really connects. I call, I often say it's my spiritual home. Yeah, there's just something about it, and I'm sure there's. I've spoke to other people that feel the same way about it. When I'm there, it's just feel different. I just feel just completely at peace, I think. It's just an amazing... Have you set up your plan to retire there yet? Maybe. A few years off retiring yet, mate, <laughs> unless I make a lot of money out of something in the next few years. But um, I would like to buy a property there yeah, at yeah. some point, but whether that happens, I don't, the price of real estate over there is... Yeah, it's rocketing. Sydney now, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. For the moment, I'm very settled here. Uh, I've bought a place here where I live now. I'm on the south coast in New South Wales, so really loving it. But it'd be nice to have somewhere in New Zealand as well. You could alternate between the two. Yeah. yeah. But that would definitely be at the top of my list. Yeah, you just can't. You can't beat New Zealand. No. What's your most memorable photography experience? There's a couple. They come to mind pretty easily, actually. Two of them would be in New Zealand. And one of them's actually in uh, Slovenia. Okay. I'll probably talk about the one in Slovenia. Uh, I was in Slovenia a few years ago and flew into Slovenia from Germany in the morning mm-hmm. and landed in Ljubljana, which is the capital of Slovenia. And as we landed, there was just a complete whiteout. It was snowing as we landed. The runway was covered in snow. It was real full-on winter scenes. We went from the airport straight out to Lake Bled. And we got there in the afternoon and spent stayed there till dark. And it was probably a, a period of about four hours. And that was photography at its absolute best. Like it was yeah. just incredible. Like it was fresh snow on everything, not a breath of wind. Like every branch on every tree had about an inch of snow just sitting on it. 
there was this fog coming in over the lake. I don't know if you've ever been to Lake Bled in Slovenia, but it's, a, it's I've seen enough shots of it. Oh, it's a pretty special place. Yeah. And there's a church on this little island in the middle of the lake and it was all draped in snow and it was phenomenal, mate. Like it was just one of those days where every photo you took was amazing. And I had a couple of shots from there that, that were pretty popular and one I've sold a stack of prints of and I hardly even edited the photo. It, it just was perfect. Okay. So that that would be one. And others would be mornings in the New Zealand backcountry in more remote areas in New Zealand, like backcountry valleys where you're a long way from main roads and things like that. Had a couple of mornings there that have just been outstanding. Had one probably about four years ago now, one that comes to mind that was just incredible. It was in the autumn time. Mm. So all the trees were just nice and colourful and the, the light was phenomenal. There was a layer of fog and the light, the pink sky and all that sort of thing. It went for about an hour. It was just, wow. and it just kept changing and changing. It was just incredible. So yeah, that, that'd probably be the two that really stand out, I think. Yeah. What about yeah. horror stories? You live for those moments. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Horror stories. Yeah. Had plenty of them too. <laughs> Had plenty of those. Yeah, horror stories. I can't think of any really bad ones. Nothing too bad. We have had days on workshops where it's been a struggle, Yeah, uh, where the weather's just been really, really bad, like pouring rain or... Nothing better than horizontal rain to make you day. Yeah. It's, I can only ever think of once that I can think of where we actually spoke to our, our group of clients on a workshop once and decided that we weren't going to go out one day because the weather was really bad. That's only once, so that's pretty it's good. That's a pretty good strike, right? Yeah. That's pretty good. And I gave, I was prepared to go, gave the, the decision to the people and they said, oh, no. <laughs> but then I can think of other ones where, you know, where it's been raining and snowing and, well, snow is good, but really abysmal weather and we've decided to go out and we've had to rethink how we do it. Yep. But then we've gone out and actually got really good photos. So you can still get good photos. I'm a pretty positive-minded person, so I don't really think about the horror stories. Well there probably the, been a few, yeah. but I just try and push them aside and not think about it, yeah. Fair enough, fair enough. What are you like when you get home from a shoot? Are you straight into editing or are you one to let it sit back and, and wait for a while? I almost never do that. Very rarely would I get home and, and start editing, almost never. I'm working on a series of photos at the moment, the last couple of days here that I've been editing about six or eight photos, and they're from 2019. Yeah. <laughs> that That's something I'll do often. I guess I'm fortunate enough that I've been out and done that much shooting over the years that I've just got so much stuff sitting on hard drives. Yeah, I really have got thousands and thousands of good images sitting on hard drives. That's a pretty good problem to have. Yeah, so every now and then I'll just open up an old folder from a while ago and go through. I'm working on putting a new web page together. Hopefully I'll have it on my website tomorrow for a new workshop. And so that's made me go back and look at photos from that area from the past. Yeah, right. so that, that's what I've been doing the last few days. And yeah. yeah, so no, I almost prefer to, and I know a few people do things this way, almost prefer to remove that emotional attachment you have to a photo shoot before you look at the photos. If you go out and have a good photo shoot, you're obviously, you're often on a real high after it. Yeah. 
upbeat and happy and positive and sometimes you'll almost maybe rush it a bit too much because you're emotionally connected to that moment. So I try and remove that emotional connection and you'll come back and look at the photos anywhere. This year I've edited a, a batch of photos from most trips, but normally it's only five or six photos, the ones that just catch your eye the first Um, but sometimes it's not uncommon for me to go back to an old folder and drag out some photos from a few years ago yeah yeah i've never even i've never even looked at before yeah Yeah. Yeah. i'm normally straight into an edit of some sort but yeah I, i know what you mean i've tried to take that step back and separate yourself from the time because there are times when I've gone into it and I don't know if it's rushing or whatever, but I then look at it a couple of days later or or whatever and I go, what was I thinking? Yeah, that always happens. But you know what else you can do too? Because as you go along, your style changes, what you like and what you don't like changes, but also your skill level changes as well. Absolutely. There's no reason why you can't go back to couple of your favorite photos that you took a couple of years ago and do a fresh edit on them go back to the raw file and start all over again yeah exactly which i've done before too yeah yeah i don't i don't think there's anything uh better than going back and and taking a look and in in a lot of ways it shows you where you've come from in, in yeah. some ways but also it gives you that ability to apply things that you've learned in the intervening time to the older images and there's new tools there's new techniques that you've learned etc in that time that can really make a difference to how you would have edited it back back in the day yeah absolutely i agree definitely i'm probably more critical now of my photography than i've ever been yeah. but i think i still sometimes will edit a photo that I, it's not good enough yeah. Uh, but I think I'm getting better at that. Sometimes I might spend 15, 20 minutes on a photo and and then I'll just uh, delete it and I'll just yeah. say, no, nah, it's just not good enough. And yeah. whereas, I've done that know, in, uh, yeah, in the past I might have persevered with it, but now yeah. I just say, no, nah, it's just not good enough and I just forget it. Yeah. Yeah. Someone famous once said, and once again I don't know who it was, but it might have been Ansel Adams maybe, I don't know, Landscape photography is about 97% failure or something like that. And yeah. that's pretty true. Like you, if you take a thousand photos, you might have 20 good photos if you're doing well out yep. of that. Yeah. yeah. No, the, I'm, it, it's probably about that, sometimes less for me. But uh, <laughs> yeah, there's shoots. There's times when you go out on a shoot and it might just be a local beach seascape shoot or something like that. Yeah. I'll come home and I won't necessarily download the photos straight away. I'll just leave them in the camera on the SD card. And a couple of days later, I'll look at them again and I'll just format the card. (laughs) No, they're no good. Just delete. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, No, I I tend to back them up and then delete them off the computer. Yeah. Normally, first thing I do is get them home, get them onto the computer, and then there's offline backup and a, a local backup here which helps me not lose anything that I might want. But then if I take a look at it and I go, nah, and I, I, I ditch it, then... Yeah. It, what, are you, what are you using to back up? I use a couple of products. One is Carbonite, which is the offline. Carbonite, so is it? 
Yeah, Carbonite. It's a on. It's a cloud-based backup service, so it just runs a client on your computer and sticks everything up in into the cloud. Um, right. Yeah. Keeps it all in sync. The other one that I use is one called Syncback Pro, which okay. Yeah. Basically, so what that does, I use that for the local backup. So I've got a one of those sand drives and basically again it's just a client that sits there and shifts everything onto the sand drive for us okay yep yep Keep, keeps it all keeps I, I know at least if i have a fire or something like that then yeah i can restore and i did have i had a situation where the power supply on the computer died about three four months ago and so she wouldn't boot up wouldn't do anything took it down the shop, got new power supply put in. And in doing that, they also cleaned it up a little bit. And yeah. uh, just to make sure, luckily I didn't lose anything important, but just to make sure I was able to go through and do a comparison with what was on the backups, with what was on on here to make sure that I hadn't lost anything and it, yeah. was, all, it was all good. Yeah, I'm using one called Crash Plan. I'm not a real techie guy, so... I don't know if it's any good or not. I've been using it for a few years now. Don't know. But I've got one big hard drive here, which is one of those big G technology hard drives. Oh, yeah, yeah. 12 or 16 terabytes or something. Nice. Yeah. And it backs up to this crash plan. But I find, I don't know if it's normal or not, but I find it's very slow to back up. Um, really? Okay. Yeah. No, it's taken. It hasn't done a full backup for a couple of months. It's still going. It's still going and yeah. going. Okay. In the background, but I suppose I'm backing a lot of stuff up to it. Um, yeah, well, 16 terabytes will take a while. <laughs> yeah, and I've more recently video stuff as well. Yeah, that yeah that that will take a while. 4K video files and yeah. stuff. Like I, I found with Carbonite because it it's not so it it doesn't do a full backup at any one point in time. It's basically incremental. So if you change something on on your hard drive on the computer. Yep, it'll yep. then just move everything up into into the cloud for you. Yeah, yeah. The other one is a little bit different. That's taking a, a full backup, and I've got that set up differently, and that does take a while. I think I've. I think I don't know exactly what I've got. I think I've got about eight terabytes of images and video and documents and various other bits and pieces. So it's still a lot of stuff. Yeah, take takes a while to. Yeah manage it and i think one of the one of the hardest parts in dealing with it is just making sure that where stuff is when you want to go looking for it yeah that's a problem (laughs) (laughs) sometimes oh yeah i want to find this photo and it takes me half an hour i can't remember what year it was i can't remember season it was where where was it what year was it Yeah. yeah yeah It's amazing how quick the years go. You think, oh, yeah, that was about 2020, and it turns out it was like 2017 or something. That's it. Yeah. <clears throat> you mentioned printing your work. Yeah. Uh, you got any tips for prepping images for printing? Do you, pr- do you print your own or do you use a, a, a service? No, I don't print my own. I, I've never got into printing my own, but I have learned a fair bit about it over time. And I, two things. One is use a good printer. Use someone who actually knows what they're doing. Like everything in life, it's not always the cheapest product that's the best. Often the cheap ones are no good at all. Yeah. So I've got a few people that I use for things. I do a lot of acrylic face mounts. Yep. So I use Five Magics in Sydney, a guy called Patrick. He's yeah, a good fella. 
He's over on Brookvale near there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. He's a good bloke, does a good job. He specialises in acrylics. So, yeah, I've used him for years now. He's done a stack of stuff for me. Yeah. But, yeah, I've learned a bit over the years. So you, whenever you finish a photo sort of thing, you have what I call your master file, which will be like a TIFF file for me. Yep. And then you'll have your, your small file you put on your website or social media or whatever. So often that photo that you put on social media is quite different to the one that you print. Yep. So you'll go back to that. Before you send it to the printers, you'll go back to that TIFF file I'll pixel peek, even though I might have printed it before, I'll still do it again. I'll pixel peek the TIFF, uh, the TIFF file, go over pretty much every pixel, make sure there's no blemishes there. Mm-hmm. But normally I flatten the image a bit when okay. I, and what I mean by that is I bring the highlights down a bit and bring the shadows up a bit. Yeah, uh, even, even yeah. yeah, yeah, a bit more of a, a flatter look, even add a little bit of exposure sometimes. I find that prints better when you do that. And then the other thing is your sharpening. Sometimes I'll use like the TK panel to sharpen my photos for social media. But then if I'm going to print an image, sometimes I'll actually take some sharpening out of it uh, before I print it because sometimes when they print, they can actually look too sharp. Yeah, they can get, they look crispy and crinkly. Yeah. yeah, a bit too sharp sometimes, depending. Sometimes I'll actually take a bit of sharpening out, but I'd mm. say flattening it out a bit is a good tip before you print it because there's any printer or printing machine, I always prints blacks very dark. Yep. The, yeah, other black thing, black. the other thing, which is probably not a bad process, is to consider where the print's actually going to go, like which wall of a house it's going yeah, to, right, okay. to be on. This is something that I will often ask people. For example, is it going on a white wall? Is it going on a dark-coloured wall, etc.? Yep. If it's going on a white wall and it's in good light, the other thing is where's how much natural light's in the room. If it's a room with bad natural light, um, you need a really bright print. Now, you don't want one of those dark and moody type shots on a dark room because it's no. just terrible. Yeah. So, yeah, they'd be other things to think about. If it's on a white wall, you can have a photo that's probably a little bit darker or a bit more contrasty. Yeah, depends on the room. More about the natural light, I think, how much light's in the room yeah. Yeah, as to how bright you make the, the print. Yeah, yeah, They're all things to consider, I think, if you want to do it properly, yeah. Definitely, definitely. And I think, as you said, having, having a chat to the printer and the, the client and understanding what it's for is uh, yep. vital because that really helps you process it properly so that it ends up looking good. I think a good printer, if you send them a TIFF file and there's something that's a bit too dark or you've clipped yeah. the blacks or whatever it might be, they should contact you and say, oh, don't know how this is going to print. Maybe you should have another look at it. Yeah. yeah. One, one of the things I do just out of hand before I send it off to the printer is do a levels adjustment. Yep. In that, you've down at the, the bottom of your levels adjustment yep. tab, you've got zero and 255 values. Yep. Zero almost always goes to five or 10. Yep. And so that it's there are no black blacks. Yep. And the whites I bring down probably to about. 250 yeah just knock those five points out of it and it yeah that's a good idea to give you a better result than if you if you leave it alone because if you do have any 
absolute blacks or absolute whites, then as you say, it's not necessarily going to look that great when you print it. No. Yeah, I've printed them where the blacks have been not clipped, but pretty hard towards black, and you, and they come out a bit too black for my liking. It's not so natural. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the key. Is it going to look natural? Yeah. yeah. But then again, some people like that look too. So it depends on how contrasty you want it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Depends how many likes you want on Instagram, mate. Yeah. <laughs> the more contrast and saturation you give it. <laughs> I think that used to be the way. There's a, a little bit more discernment now. Not much, but I think you know what? That definitely was the that definitely oh, was absolutely. the way to go. And magenta, mate. They love the yeah. magenta. Yeah, if you can... Um I think now there seems to be, I feel like in the last two years, there is quite a lean going back towards that more natural look, which is good because that's more the style I like. Yeah, I'm yeah. not the same. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> got to say, I'm guilty of pumping the contrast and the vibrance up a little bit. Yeah, we've all done that before. <laughs> yeah. How do you deal with a creative wall? Have you ever hit a creative wall and said, it's all too hard, I don't want to do it anymore? Yeah, often, but they don't last for long. You will often get them, but sometimes they'll only last a couple of days. So I just say don't force it. You can't force it. If you jump on your computer one night, you decide I'm going to do some editing and you pull up a few photos and you start editing and you're just not, you're just not feeling it, you're not sure what to do in terms of what you're going to do with the edit, just walk away. Don't force it. Just walk away. Yeah, just come back in a couple of days or weeks or whatever. I, if there's one thing I've really learnt in the last few years, it's don't rush anything, particularly with photos. Like um, just don't rush it. Does There's no rush. There's no rush. Yeah. Yeah. But most of the time, creative ruts, as people say, I don't really know that I've ever gone into one of those too much. I guess one thing that we tend to do Mm -hmm. is we're very busy. We normally start our workshop season in sort of February, March probably, and we go through until the end of November, early December, and then we have the summer off. Uh, We don't do any workshops over the summer and generally like December, January, February. Around that time, we normally just spend time with family, do all the other things, have a bit of time off. So what I actually tend to do is when I get to the end of the season, because we've got two more workshops starting in New Zealand this Sunday, once they're finished, we'll come home, download all the photos. I might edit between then and Christmas, might edit a few photos. But after that, I literally put my camera gear in the cupboard and just leave it there for a um, two, two months. Yeah. I literally don't touch it. I just forget it and just go and do other things, go and have Christmas with friends and family and oh. just forget about it. So I think that probably helps Yeah, yeah. having that time away. Yeah. yeah. And then by the time you come back in March or whatever, you're really enthused and raring to go again, yeah. What do you see as being the biggest challenge facing photography right now? Oh, that's pretty easy. AI, of course, as we were talking about before. Yeah. I don't think it's... From a landscape photography point of view, I don't think it's going to make a huge difference. Like I said to you before, a few people have asked me on workshops and stuff, are you worried about AI? And I say no, because people, it's not necessarily about the photo, it's about the experience. Yeah. And the experience becomes that 
emotional attachment to the photo. Mm-hmm. So people always want that that experience and that emotional attachment to the photo. So I don't think they're going to get that from AI. But I, what else challenges? Social media is dead. So yeah. people that were using social media to drive their profile or their business forward, I think it's a lot harder to do that now than it was five or six years ago. So that's probably a challenge. I think video is where it's all going now. Yeah. I've got to say, part aside from the rise of video on platforms like Instagram, I think one of the challenges is just everyone's a photographer and if if you want to make money out of it, then because there's so much out there and the demand is so small, the the, the value is hard to come by. So it, it's hard to get people to understand the value of it. You mean in terms of selling your photos? Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I've, I've looked into this a fair bit and in terms of selling your photos, I've come to the conclusion that basically what it is is that there's actually a very small market of people out in society yep. that want to buy your photos to start with. Yeah, absolutely. So that actual market, it's not a big market. It's actually a small market. And then you've got thousands of people trying to get that market yeah, so all after the market yeah yeah it's i don't think it's ever been a huge market it's no, like, i agree yeah. it's like art like people yeah. sell paintings and so forth even that's it's quite a limited audience or a limited market and then you see people that are selling their photos for next to nothing just to get their name out there but i i think that yeah. devalue devalues their worth absolutely um, yeah, yeah. Where do you see the future of photography going? I think it's really strong, actually, Grant. Yeah. I think it's getting stronger, if anything. I think when you look online, you're looking at photos that that it's very saturated, like there's millions and millions of good photos out there. But in saying that, I think people that are leaning towards photography as a hobby or a pastime, I don't know the statistics, but I reckon it's probably a growing industry. A lot of people are into photography these days. Yeah. I think there's camera, a good camera manufacturers might argue with that, but phone, the yeah. phone, the phone. <laughs> there's lots of people that consider call themselves photographers that are doing it all on their phone these days. Oh, absolutely, and, um, and video as well. Yeah, there's heaps of guys shooting YouTube now on their phones. These new phones, new iPhones. I don't know much about the other ones, but they take amazing video. Yeah, so yeah, I think that I think it's still strong. I think. Everyone always likes photographs. I don't think it'll. I don't think we'll see the industry get, you know, lose any momentum. I think it'll just keep going. But mm. there does seem to be that the people that are making the cameras, there does seem to be that in the middle of the market. So you have your cheap camera, like your your entry level yeah. SLR type yeah. cameras, and then you have your high end professional level cameras. Well, you had all those models in the middle, they seem to be fading away and it's either yeah, just yeah. cheap camera or high-end and there doesn't seem to be much available yeah, the, in the middle. The ground isn't, isn't really there. Canon's still doing some of that with the yeah. R-series now. They've started to do things like the R7, which is APS-C crop sensor, and I think, is it the R8? Yeah. One of those, but... I don't know. Yeah, Canon and, and Sony tended to, as you say, split the difference and and go on to either the high or the, the, the low end, I think, in the in the mirrorless space. I think what that is, is that middle market 
the people that were buying those cameras in the middle are now just using their phones. Yeah, buying phones and phones yeah. taking that over. Yeah. Now I've had heaps of like friends and relatives and things ask me, oh, I'm going on a trip to Europe. I want to get a good camera for my trip. What should I get? And I say, what do you want? Tourists, are you tourists sort of yeah, snapshots? Sure. And they say, yep. I say, just use your phone. Yeah. Like, yeah. What do you need to go and buy? A- yeah. They're, yeah. They're great until you want to blow something up. Yeah, and if you want to, as you say, if you just want shots that you can share on social media and and so forth, yeah, some of them, the higher end ones, like your latest iPhones and Androids and whatever, you could probably blow them up to a reasonable size. But Mm. um, I I think you'd then have to start getting into AI sort of enlargement programs to help you get the quality out if you start to get them up into that sort of one two meter space yeah yeah i think the new iphone people are doing that though no i think new iphone's about 46 megapixels or something something like that yeah but it's still a it's still a sensor the size of your thumb yeah the the the, the, there's always been this thing about oh yeah it's got so many megapixels but it's not just about the megapixels it's about the quality of the sensor and i'm not knocking this the sensors they've got are fantastic and they've just improved out of sight but yeah you can't compare a, a thumbnail size sensor with a three inch or a five and a half inch medium format. No. And cheese, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Us critical pixel peepers that yeah. you know, zoom every image into 2000%. Um, the one thing that really stands out for me, or I've, I use a Canon R5, I've had it for a couple of years now. Even when I got that camera, I went from the Canon 5D Mark IV. The first thing I noticed, like from day dot, is the resolution. Yeah. And there's no substitute for that, especially when you see it actually printed on a wall. That's when you do know the difference, that resolution. So you'll never get that out of a phone. Well, I shouldn't say never. You probably will. Yeah, I reckon you will eventually. The tech has just come a a long way. But yeah, as, as I say, it's not many people wanting to do that, even with their phone shots, you know. And these new cameras now, like it doesn't matter which brand, any of the top brands, the, no. the quality of the images coming out of these cameras is outstanding. Even entry-level kit. Yeah. You, know, you, you can still take a, a damn good photo with even some of the older ones going back five, ten years. The, mm. the entry-level kit there was still pretty good. Yeah. I'm not saying you could compare. You, you couldn't necessarily compare them when you blow them up into large format prints, but in terms of looking at it on social media, you couldn't tell the difference between something that was taken with a, an entry-level camera from five, ten years ago and a high-end camera taken this year from this year. Yeah. yeah. But these new cameras are, are pretty impressive. The stuff that it's changed the way I shoot using the Canon R5. It's definitely yeah. changed the way I shoot. It's Yeah, it just makes such a big difference. Well, like. Yeah, the mirrorless has really changed up the, the the way that people do it because you can do handheld for a, a reasonable amount of time and yeah. take your your long well not your longer but a a longish exposure yeah. handheld which you could never do with it or still can't do with a, a DSLR. Nah, all my waterfall stuff now is all handheld. I don't yeah. use tripod, and you shoot a quarter of a second or something like that handheld, no problems at all. And people, when they come on workshops now, if they've got a good camera like a, a, one of the newer Sonys or Nikons or 
Canon or one of the Fuji GFXs or whatever, mm-hmm. I'll just say to them, just shoot for the highlights. And, and they they really struggle. Well, the photo's dark. It'll be right. Just leave it. It's yeah, fine. Just don't clip the highlights. And then you'll jump. I had a lady last year with a Nikon Z7 II shooting the Lupin's photos, and it was very windy. So I said, we're going to have to punch your ISO up to 800 and we're doing handhelds and we're shooting for the highlights and the and she's this is this won't be any good. I said, Yeah, it will. And then the next day we opened the image up and we did five slider edit. And I said, There you go, look at that. And incredible. And that's what you can do with these new cameras. It's not just that. I don't know if you've seen the ID noise in Lightroom yeah. and the yeah. baby camera raw. Yeah. I've got some old shots yeah. that I know were really badly underexposed yeah. and noisy as buggery and yeah. I, I stick them through that and push the button wait a couple of seconds and noise is gone yeah that's nah, pretty impressive that new d noise yeah, yeah does a good job absolutely i know getting back to michael shane bloom again he did a youtube video there not long ago where he analyzed all the different d noise programs yeah and the topaz and the, what's the other one dxo and all that DxO, sort of stuff yeah, yeah. and yeah he reckoned like the lightroom one was as good as any I use lightroom i use camera raw same thing but yeah it's the same yeah. software basically yeah it's impressive it's impressive yeah definitely what's your favorite thing about being a photographer the unknown, maybe. I think the favourite thing is probably the unknown. Every day is different mm. and some days just turn out to be incredible days and that's an unknown. You don't know that's going to happen. You get up, you go out and you shoot and all of a sudden it turns into this absolutely amazing day that is a real memorable day. Yeah. And you, yeah. Didn't, you didn't know that was going to happen. Probably that. Yeah. Mm, cool. I also get a, I, I am also a person that I really do get a lot of enjoyment out of teaching people. Mm. I actually really do enjoy that. And particularly when I see people improve or when I, the main thing that I like to see is when I see their confidence improve. Yeah. They become a lot more confident in their learning. Yeah. I, that's a, that's a highlight. That's yeah, a fantastic. favorite part. Yeah. What's the worst thing? about being a photographer getting up early like mm. at three or four o'clock in the morning because i've never been a morning person <laughs> so when i'm at home when we're here a handicap for a photographer <laughs> i know when we're at home here when we're not doing workshops I, I don't get up early i'm a nine or you know nine o'clock ten o'clock wake up stay up late watching youtube and and sleep in every day but yeah. on workshops you can be up at three or four o'clock in the morning so that's not my favorite part yeah but i always say i don't think i've ever regretted getting up early once you've actually gone out and experienced a sunrise or whatever even on a miserable day you still don't regret it you still always enjoy it yeah. so that part that's one part that's probably that'd probably be the one yeah getting up early i don't like that much but yeah fair enough that comes with it, right? You've got to do it. Yeah. I've, I've got a new least favourite and it comes from tramping around a national park in Queensland. There's leeches. Oh, yeah, mate. Oh, they're brutal, them things. <laughs> these, thing, these things were ridiculous. They, they were, I, I must have had about 50 or 60 of the buggers all, all over me. Not, uh-huh. not sucking blood, but just climbing up. I had long trousers on and whatever. Ah, right. Uh, yeah, but they were, they were trying to trying to get in under the cuffs of my trousers and into my shoes. And, yeah, it was 
thousands of the buggers. So any in Queensland where you were, is there any ticks or snakes? There probably would have been, but I think it was a bit damp and cold for the snakes where uh, we were. Yeah. We're up in the mountains there at the back of Mackay there, Yungala. Yep. Or Yungala. I've heard it pronounced about 10 different ways. But funnily enough, on the walk back out from there, we saw these two German backpackers and the bloke, he had a pair of uh, sandals on. Oh. <laughs> I gave him gave him the, the, the warning and said, you might want to change your shoes. And he said, yeah. I'll be fine. I said, all yeah. right, good luck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The only other one we have down here on the south coast is actually a lot of ticks. Yeah. In the last 12, 18 months, I've had three of them. Yeah. I had one buried in the top of my head. Yeah. So if you go bush bashing down here, there's plenty of ticks around there. They seem to be on the New South Wales coast a lot. Yeah. South coast and the north coast. Used to get them up at Port Macquarie as well. Yeah. So they're not much fun, those things. You do get them up in Queensland, but uh, di didn't come across any ticks, luckily. But, yeah, the leeches were just a nightmare. <laughs> and the other one in New Zealand, well, the good thing about New Zealand is there's no snakes, so you can just yeah. you know, bash your way through the bush wherever you want and you just have this new sort of confidence that you're not going to – you don't even think about it. But That's the it. one thing you do get over there is uh, the sand flies. I don't know if you've Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah they can be pretty brutal, actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah, at times. I'm still scratching some of the sandfly bites that I got up in Queensland too, right yeah. around the coast there. The, they, they call them midges. Yeah, yeah, they're the really tiny ones. Yeah. yeah. You can't even see them. Then, can't see them. And, yeah, yeah and they, they just and get about 50 or 60 bites in one place. Once you start itching, mate, you, you oh, won't yeah, stop. <laughs> don't itch them, whatever you do. Don't scratch them. No, no. definitely don't. Yeah. The ones in New Zealand are a bit bigger. They're probably half the size of our normal fly we get here, so yeah. they're actually bigger. But, yeah, they can be pretty lethal over there, in, particularly in the wet areas where it's wet or damp or in forests or around rivers and sand and stuff like that. Milford Sound's a good spot for them. Yeah. 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 And they're the same. Once they start biting you, you won't stop itching for days, yeah. No, that's it. Yeah. Horrible things. I don't yeah. know. Don't know, don't know who decided to invent them, but they can, they can take them back. Who do you think I should be talking to on the podcast? I knew you were going to ask me this, so I actually wrote it down. There's a few that I admire, but you had, you've already had most of the people I like on your podcast. Michael Shane Bloom, you, you've had, Victoria Hark. An Aussie guy that you should talk to, I don't know, you may have already actually, is Dylan Toe. No, I haven't spoken to Dylan yet. I do know his work. Yeah, Dylan's from Adelaide. He's Everlook Photography. Yeah, Everlook. Yeah. He's a good bloke and he's a really good photographer. He's been around for a while. He does a lot of stuff. He's always out adventuring with his family and he's got great landscapes. The other one well, I would have said was my partner, Lisa Milne, but she won't talk to you on a podcast. She's too shy. <laughs> I did ask her. <laughs> Oh, yeah, no, she said that. Yeah, she's good. She takes some good landscapes. Uh, yeah, there's a few more there. I'm not sure whether you've spoken to guys like Blake Randall. I don't know if you've heard of him. No, I have heard of him. Yeah, he's no, from I Pacific Northwest or Canada yeah. there somewhere. He's really good. Another guy I quite like is called Marco Grassi. Yep. He's an Italian guy. Yep. I like his stuff. And the one I was talking to you about before we went on air was a guy that I only came across the other day. I don't know him, but I uh, really like his photos. He's a guy called Mitch Green. Um, yeah, yeah. 
He's got some real nice photos. Yeah, yeah I've been following him for a little while. He's got yeah. some awesome stuff. I'm definitely going to put him on the list. And thank you for the the others. I think Dylan would be a good one. Dylan Tate. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he's really good. All right. I know you've listened to a couple of podcasts, so you probably know uh, what the, uh, the the final question is. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> I'm going to ask it anyway. Yep. Do, you, do you like pineapple on pizza? Definitely, mate. 100%. Fair yeah. Enough. It goes good with chili, actually. You add a bit of chili as well, so then you yeah, get a sweet and spice. Yeah, chili flakes or chili sauce? Oh, anything chili. I just love chili. <laughs> we, I'll tell you a funny story about pineapple on pizza. Actually, yeah. we were in we we're in the Dolomites earlier this year doing a workshop over there. I don't imagine there'd be too much pineapple on pizza. In and here. we we went to this Italian, pretty authentic restaurant in uh, the Dolomites, and one of the guys on and obviously they, their main thing was pizzas. One of the guys on our workshop ordered a, a pizza off the menu, whatever it was, and then he asked the waiter, could he put pineapple on it? <laughs> and the waiter just gave him this real filthy look and just went, Jesus. <laughs> That's all he said. He didn't say anything else. went, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I think the answer was no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I imagine anywhere in Italy you'd be lucky to find a, uh, a pineapple anywhere near a pizza shop. Yeah, I don't think so. It's an Aussie thing. Definitely. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for taking the time today, Brett. It's been wonderful getting to know you a little bit better. No Where worries. can people find your work? Best place just to have a look at my website, photos.com. They can find me on all the usual social media, YouTube. I like to do a bit of stuff on YouTube, Flickr, all that stuff. But my website would be the first point of call. Yep. All right. Thanks very much, Matt. Matt, thanks, Grant. Good on you. Thanks again for listening to Landscape Photography World. I hope you enjoyed the show and keep listening because I'll be joined by some great guests in upcoming episodes. You can find my work in this podcast at grantswinburnphotography.com. I'm also on Vero, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram and Facebook. I'm Grant Swinburne. Hope to see you out shooting soon.